CSN International presents To Every Man an Answer, the live apologetics program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a Bible question or a question on the Christian faith, you can call us at 1-888-827-5276. Again, that's 1-888-ASK-CSN. Let's get things started. Here's today's host, Mike Kessler. Hi, and welcome to Thursday's edition of To Every Man and Answer. Once again, we just wanted to tell you, we appreciate you and look forward to being with you every weekday afternoon at this time. If you've got a question you'd like to ask us about the Bible, you've been reading your Bible, studying, coming across something you don't understand, or perhaps someone's asked you a question, hey, that's why we like to get together to look at all of what God's Word has to say in these days that we live in, because friends, we are living in some absolutely incredible times. So how important is it to be about our Father's business? And so we just want to encourage you to give us a call. Got some lines open, 888-ASK-CSN, and I'd love to make you part of the program today. Joining me today, special guest featured CSN speaker, Morning Times here, a chosen generation, Daryl Skinner from Calvary Chapel, Pearl Harbor, Honolulu, Hawaii. Aloha. Aloha, Mike, and aloha to all the listeners out there and the great questions that come our way. You know, Mike, I, I like what you said in, in your uh, your start off there, your introduction, if you will. We appreciate your calls. And and what a joy it is to hear from Amen. all the listeners across the country and various places. And they're wanting to grow in their faith, to be a blessed people of God, to continue to study the Word of God of workmen that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. You know, these are days of great deception. We know that, Mike, and uh, we see so much uh, obliteration of the Bible these days from the culture to the world to Satan to false teachers and so forth. And what a joy it is to bring forth God's truth uh, with the unadulterated Word of God that is so powerful and living for all of our hearts. So it's great to be with you once again on this Thursday. Always a blessing to be with you. Looking forward to answering some questions with you. And uh, again, um, uh, thank you for being on to Every Man and Answer, as well as being on CSN with your program, A Chosen Generation, recorded live there at your church, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and any other time that you guys get together. Appreciate so much that truth that comes from your fellowship and how God is using you in such a wonderful way. Well, it's time to go to the phones, and we will do that. Let's go to Ron. Prescott, Arizona. Hi, welcome. Uh, Pastor Mike and Pastor uh, Daryl, in James 4.2, it says that believers uh, were committing murder. Is that possible? I don't believe so. I think he's talking about the, the violence in people's hearts. And, of course, Jesus said, if you thought it in your heart, you've, you've committed that. So, um, uh, and, and the whole premise of chapter four of James is that of, you know, wars and fightings among you, your thoughts. Yeah. You know, let's take it all in context. It says, where, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war in your members or in your flesh? You lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain, you fight and war, yet you do not have, have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. He's really talking to people who are 
false believers who need to repent of their sins, turn away from the ways of the world and the culture, because it, it's uh, and when you look at the lust of the flesh and, and uh, its desires, it's it's destructive and and it's it's full of anger and hatred and murder and so forth. We read about that in Galatians five as well as Second uh, Corinthians six, and we see the results of the flesh. And all the sins that are involved. Romans chapter 1 is another good passage to look at the sins of the flesh. I think at the end of Romans 1, there's 23 sins that are listed. And he's t- calling people really to repentance. And don't depend on your your finances to pull you out of this. I think that because you have finances, you're blessed of God. You need to repent of your sins and follow the Prince of Peace, basically, which is the Lord Jesus. Follow him and let him use your life. Excuse me. Sorry about that. Forgot to turn off my phone. And so that's what's happened. And so when we look at the, these things happening, uh, we have to realize that God is work, doing a tremendous work and in uh, and, and what we call repentance. As we repent, we follow the Prince of Peace and his peace rests upon us, and we're called to be peacemakers, uh, and we'll see the kingdom of God. Michael, give it over to you. Amen. And so, um, uh, Ron, I, I hope that answers it for you. Yeah, I guess that makes sense because he says he's writing to the 12 tribes scattered abroad, that would include believers and unbelievers. Yeah, and if you read on farther down, when you get down to verse 4, you adulterers and adulteresses, I mean, he he's laying into them um, because of their behavior. And and so this is why I believe you find the level uh, uh, pointing out that it isn't just the act, but it's the condition of the heart that I think he's citing there. Ron, I hope that helps. Okay, thank you, Pastor. Stay on the line if you like, sending you out Atheist Delusion, brand new DVD we have here of Ray Comfort, and uh, I think you'll enjoy that. So stay on the line, we'll get you taken care of. Let's go to Michael in Keller, Texas. Hi, welcome. Hello. How may we help? Yes. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, My question is about Thomas, Doubting Thomas, of course. Um, Why would he... From every account I've ever ever read, and I believe, and I believe, of Jesus' crucifixion, it was incredibly, incredibly terrible. I mean, it wasn't just his hands and his feet and his side that was pierced. His skin, I mean, forgive me for saying this, but it was uh, shredded. His forehead. He was was beaten. In fact, the Bible says, I believe when we see him in Revelation, uh, John says he wept because there was no one that could take the scroll. And it says uh, he wept because no one was worthy to take the scroll. And then uh, a lamb, speaking of Jesus, steps out like a lamb who had been slain. So I think we'll all someday see what Jesus went through to redeem all of us. And I, I believe it wasn't a pretty sight, but that's what sin is. It isn't a pretty sight on any of us, but how may we help? Well, my my question is, why would Thomas even have to, I mean, why, how could he doubt? Uh, to me, it's beyond uh, beyond thought. I, I just, because, I mean, he would have, uh, Jesus, I'm sure, his not just his side, his hands, but his forehead is, I mean, just beaten. Wouldn't he also have scars there as well, to where it would be absolutely no doubt, no doubt, that this man, uh, God man, uh, suffered a crucifixion, and now he's back. I, 
It, it just, it's beyond me. I've always wondered how could Thomas be a doubter? <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, you got to remember, it, Thomas said that earlier. He said that earlier when they said that Christ had rose from the dead. It, it wasn't that, uh, you know, Jesus appears in the room and says, well, unless I put my fingers in the holes in his eyes. That isn't what happened. He had made that statement earlier because people just don't die and come back to life. Um, and so at least, at least, uh, after being dead for three days. And, and so the, the point is, is that this is why Jesus, when he appeared to him, said, put your fingers in the holes in my hand, thrust your hand into my side, which is really important when you study scripture. Because after Jesus had died on the cross, rose from the dead, he still had the marks in his body of the crucifixion, which I would also say at the moment of death, what what happened to him? And just as you said, his back laid open, the bruising, he was blindfolded and beaten, the Bible says, a crown of thorns shoved on his head. The swelling of just the beating itself would make Christ unrecognizable, not to mention the swelling from the uh, the crown of thorns, uh, all the other uh, things that he had experienced. I believe this is why the disciples had trouble recognizing Jesus on the Sea of Galilee. Um, when it says no one dared ask if it was him, well, the reason why is because he was so badly disfigured at the moment of death, I believe when we see this lamb that had been slain uh, in Revelation, we're going to see uh, how disfigured Jesus was. Now, the Bible says not a bone in his body was broken, but he was beaten every which way you could. And I believe because of that and the swelling and all those things, this is why the disciples had trouble recognizing. Now, remember when Mary recognized him in the garden, first first person. Uh, it wasn't his looks that gave him away. It was his voice. When he said, Mary, and she said, Rabboni, she, she knew exactly who it was. But re- remembering, it was probably still a little dark. So the visual identification wasn't as much important as she knew who he was by his voice. And um, so... Uh, again, I, I think this is why Thomas said the things that he did, because people just don't die uh, dead for three days and then come back to life again. And I think this is why he said those things, and uh, not because of looking at his body saying that, but because of the statement that he made much earlier. Your thoughts? Yeah, you know, as we look to this, uh, it, it, there was no doubt in Thomas's mind that he was crucified and beaten and so marred and so bruised you could not even recognize him as a man, as Isaiah 53 declares. But the the problem was that that uh, Thomas was having was he he heard the word from the other disciples that Jesus had risen, and that's where he was he was doubting what was being told him because he had not seen him face to face. So he makes the statement, unless I put my my hands in, in the nail prints of his hands or in the pierced side, I will not believe. And so really, Thomas, I think he gets a bad rap. We call him Doubting Thomas, but I think we should call him Factual Thomas. Thomas wanted the facts, and he wanted the facts, physical facts, to believe. And thus, Jesus appears to him and says, Thomas, I don't want you to be without the facts. Go ahead, stick your hands into the nail prints, stick your hands into my side, and believe. And of course, then Thomas falls down, and he says, my Lord 
and my God. And uh, this is a great lesson for those who are Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons and others that don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, God incarnate, Emmanuel, as the says at his birth, he is God in the flesh. And uh, he was willing to go to Thomas and say, I want you to have the facts for your faith, which we have throughout the scriptures by the prophets and the word of God testifying of our Lord's crucifixion and his resurrection. I'll add one last tidbit about Thomas. I just did a study there in John 11 uh, this past uh, Sunday about uh, Lazarus rising from the dead by Jesus. And and Jesus had said that we've got to go to Jerusalem and so forth uh, to Bethany and raise to Judea and raise up uh, Lazarus. And the disciples said, well, Lord, if you go, they're going to stone you because they tried to stone you before. They're going to stone you and kill you. And then a little bit later, just a few verses later, Jesus now, you know, Lazarus, he's not only sleeping, but he's actually dead and he's going to raise him and so forth. And then, and then Thomas goes, Hey, guys, we just let's go and die with Jesus because he's anticipating his own death with the Lord by stoning. And so I also call him courageous Thomas. He's a courageous Thomas because he's willing to go with Jesus to the point of death. And he's also a uh, factual Thomas because he wanted the hand prints and the nail, the side, pierced side. He wanted to feel it and so forth. And Jesus accommodated him, which Jesus wants us to have good, good, healthy faith that is built on facts of the Word of God and what we read and know, and we can share with others so they come to faith also in Christ. Mike, I'll give it back to you. Yeah, so I hope that answers it for you. Oh, it did. Uh, thank you. I, to be honest, I, I thought uh, you really nailed it. I, I didn't I didn't really uh, view it in the way um, you were saying, I guess the timing in my mind is Thomas saw Jesus and then was doubting. But he actually, like you were explaining, he was, when he heard that he had risen, he's like, oh, now I need to, I, I would need to, you know, see the, the facts, like you said, factual Thomas. And I love how you phrase that. And uh, that really clarifies to me now uh, and answers that question. I've always wondered, you know, and uh, I thank you very much. I I love your show, and uh, God bless both of you. There's a couple of things, too, that are, again, that are so important. Number one, Thomas um, was offered that by Jesus. Um, The marks were still in his body. That's very, very important to understand the other places in Scripture when it appears that Jesus was unrecognizable, believe that this is uh, this is why uh, they had trouble recognizing him. I've, uh, as a pastor uh, for over forty years, I've had to go to many, many morgues and identify bodies, and especially the ones that were like in car wrecks or things like this. I could barely recognize them because before they died, they had swollen up so much because of the injuries. It was hard to get a true ID on them. And so, uh, I, I, again, I believe this is why they had the, the, the trouble. I've heard a lot of New Age, really wacky teaching saying, well, that's because one point Jesus appeared to uh, one group as a black man, and then he appeared to the disciples along the Sea of Galilee as a Chinese man, and then absolutely heretical teaching. He was bruised for our transgressions. He was wounded for our iniquities. And again, they were still in Thomas's 
Uh, they were still before Thomas's eyes when he saw the holes in his hands and in his side. But the next thing is really important. Thomas falls to his knees and says, my Lord and my God. These people that come along and say, Jesus Christ is not God, or he became God when, or God's son when he was born in Bethlehem. This is heretical teaching. Thomas falls to his knees and makes that confession, my Lord and my God. He was not swearing. He was saying who Jesus Christ is. And I think that's very important. So that little exchange there with Thomas, very important to understand other places in the Bible as well. Michael, if you like staying in line, send you out Atheist Delusion by Ray Comfort, Time to Grow, uh, a great uh, video done by, uh, excuse me, book that I wrote. Then we have God of Wonders, great video done along the lines of something like National Geographic, not a talking head, just great photography, and then the movie Jesus, and I think you'll really enjoy that. Stay in line. We'll get that out to you, and uh, Lord bless you. Keep studying. Let's go to Vilmo, I believe it is, in Cedar City, Utah. Hi. Abby, are, they, are you there? Oh, yes, I am. Just uh, Yeah. Yes, I am here. How may we help? How may we help? I have a question. I have a question in James 4. 4. What's your take on it? Okay, well, we had an earlier question of James 4, 2, and I'll just read James 4, 4 for the sake of the audience as well. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I believe it's exactly what it means. I think if we want to, as Christians, embrace the ways of the world. I'm not saying driving a car, riding a bus, riding in a boat. I'm saying what the world laughs at, what the world believes is normal, what the world accepts as godliness um, these, I believe, is what this is talking about. Because again, as we see a world where evil is good, good is evil, I believe it's very clear the separation from true Christianity and uh, the world is becoming more clear. Now, there's, of course, a movement within a lot of the modern churches to homogenize the worldviews with Christianity. Well, you know, um, uh, you know, abortion isn't all that wrong. You know, it's kind of how you look at it. Homosexuality, hey, you know, we, we can't really define really what that is. And so you'll find these wishy-washy churches. Uh, even the Pope says, we will recognize gay marriages. Now, we won't perform them, but we will recognize them. This is friendship with the world, very clearly. Your thoughts, Harold? Yeah, you know, uh, John gives us additional commentary in First John chapter uh, 2, verse 15. He says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And then he writes, And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. It was uh, in James 4, 4, he calls them adulteresses and adulterers. And he's speaking of uh, worshiping the world. It is The world is top priority in an individual's life instead of worshiping God, who is, who is our creator, 
who is the one who sent his son to die for our sins, of which Jesus Christ, the Son of God, second person of the Trinity, died for our sins, and now we've been blessed with the Holy Spirit. And so James is calling them out. He says, you guys love the world, and you're not loving God. This is spiritual idolatry, and it's wrong in spiritual adultery, if you will, also. And so he's calling them out. It's it's like the the Jesus gave the 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 parable of the ten virgins. There's five that are wise and faithful, and there's five that are foolish and unfaithful. And and the five that are wise and faithful, they are the ones taken up in the rapture of the church. Uh, they their their candles are lit. They have extra flask of oil representing the Holy Spirit in them. They're on fire for the Lord. They love the Lord, and the others they don't. In fact, the the faithful ones tell the foolish ones to go and buy from the world. Uh, we can't give you ours because you know what? Ours is special. It's from the Lord. It's it's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We're born again. But you're of the world. Now you go to the world, go to the marketplace, and go buy your oil because that's what you're used to. And those are the foolish and unwise ones. So it's important for us to realize that when we repent of our sins, we repent of the ways of the world, the ways of the culture, the ways of Satan, of course, and we want to be made into the image of Christ and bear fruit of Christ. It's not, a, it's not meaning that our, our salvation is secure as born-again believers, but uh, we can't be traipsing after the world. Mike gave a good illustration with the Roman Catholic Church with homosexuality. The Bible talks about the church of Laodicea that is lukewarm, and Jesus says, because you are lukewarm, you're neither hot nor cold, you make me sick, and I will vomit you out of my mouth. Uh, in other words, they become so worldly, so carnal, the Scriptures have no effect on their lives. In fact, they pick and choose what they like in the Bible, and then then they throw out the rest. And yet the whole Word of God, Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets, and his words are everlasting. They're eternal. Peter even says, where should we go, Lord? Jesus said, where do you want to go? And he says, where should we go, Lord? You have the words of everlasting life, of eternal life. We're going to stay with you. You are the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God, John 1, 1, which speaks of Jesus Christ himself. So as we get into the Word, we're getting into Jesus. We're getting the world out of us. We're going to follow the the Lord with all our hearts, minds, and souls, and strength. Mike, I'll give it back to you. Hope that helps. Well, no, my point is, like, I I kind of, like, didn't make sense at all, but, okay, what about those Christians, like, they want to they wanna have a tattoo? Well, that's, that's, uh, we're talking about, we're talking about, it's if they want to have a tattoo, uh, that's their business with body art if they want. Uh, that's That's up to them. Uh, but that's not where your if your heart is. I've known Christians who got a tattoo with something representing the Christian faith, and they just feel like I want to win this to other people with tattoos. We can compare tattoos. I can start a conversation and win them to Christ. Uh, but it's not uh, loving the world. Loving the world would be going off in in the lust of the flesh and so forth. Where you read Galatians five, there and sixteen through uh, I think it's twenty one. And and it's talking about the lust of the flesh, uh, adultery, fornication, uh, uh, drug addiction, uh, sorcery, it says, uh, drunkenness, lying, jealousy, envy, murder, malice, and these things, anger. And he says, they that practice such, such things will not enter the kingdom of God. Uh, practice means it is your way of life. You're not following the Lord. It's your way of life following the flesh. But then the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and meekness, temperance, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, righteous, goodness, and truth. That's the born-again believer. But if people go back to the world, well, well, it shows their true signs of who they really are, even though they want to go to heaven, but they don't want to live for Jesus. Mike? Yeah, Jesus said it's not what what uh, goes into a man's mouth that, that defiles him, it's what comes out. 
you know, I don't believe, um, you know, unless it's some profane thing and, and then I would yeah. agree, but it, it, you know, a, you know, a tattoo of a turtle or I don't know, whatever it might be, that's between them and God. That doesn't make you a person of the world, if you will. However, if you go along with worldly philosophy, shacking up's okay, drunkenness, partying, all those kinds of things. That's what the Bible is talking about there. Hope that helps. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. God bless you. Stay on the line and I'll send you Atheist Delusion by Ray Comfort. Great DVD. God of Wonders, Evolution versus God. Uh, Time to Grow. I'll send those out to you. I think you'll really enjoy it. And uh, God bless you. And uh, keep reading. It's good to hear. Let's go to Mike. Fourth Mount, Ohio. Hi and welcome. Hi, my question comes from John chapter 3, where Jesus says that you must be born again. And I know several times you have mentioned that that means to be born from above. And Jesus mentions born of water and spirit and flesh and and the wind and everything like that. But does he actually give a definition uh, in John 3 of what born again actually means? Okay, your thoughts. When we look at that, he's talking about being born again from heaven is a good statement, but it's born again of the Holy Spirit. And as we continue to travel through the gospel according to John, the good news according to John, you get to John 14, 15, and 16, we have a deeper understanding of the working of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit and the Trinity are is described throughout the Old Testament in Elohim, as well as in Echad, speaking of a compound unity out of Deuteronomy 6, 4. And now we find ourselves in the New Testament, you have the... Uh, Jesus being baptized, the Father speaks, the Spirit of God comes upon him in the baptism, and so forth. Now, Jesus talks about, as a, a believer, you you come to the knowledge of the truth in John chapter 3. He also talked about him being raised up on the cross in John chapter 3. And he talks about those that won't come to salvation, that they are condemned by their unbelief. And uh, it's interesting, as you study through John, John focuses on the deity of Jesus Christ as well as the working of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life. John 14, 15, and 16 speaks of the Holy Spirit will testify of the Lord Jesus Christ in us. He will lead us into all truth. He will glorify the Father. He will tell us about things to come. He'll bring scriptures to our remembrance. He will also convict us of righteousness and of judgment, and and the devil will be judged also. And so we see this conviction that takes place by the Holy Spirit. So we have a clear understanding of the working of this born-again experience. Peter describes it also in Acts chapter 2. It sounds like we've got a break. We'll come back to you in just a moment, Mike. Yeah, and, and you know, if you read up just a little bit farther from where you're reading, you'll read John 3.16, which is the definition of being born from above. Believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. Coming up on a break, we'll be more. be back for more right after this. If you are 65 or older, you know this. Watching your hard-earned dollars fly out the window on health care costs is so frustrating. But here's some great news. If you were just notified that your Medicare costs are increasing, a program out there can really help you with your medical bills. And it's worth taking a minute to look into MediShare 65+. plus. It's not insurance. Members actually say it's better. It's a Christian health care community that aligns with your faith and where people encourage and pray for you. And MediShare 65 Plus is a low-cost option for those with Medicare Parts A and B, and it fills in the gaps where Medicare stops. You choose any Medicare provider, and you get telehealth access 
anytime you need it. And this is great too. Unlike health insurance, you can lock in one low monthly price for up to 10 years. So don't get stuck with increasing costs. Call MediShare 65 plus and find out how much you can save. Call 833-90-SHARE. That's 833-90-SHARE. 833-90-SHARE. If babies in their mother's womb could speak, what would they say? Did you know an unborn baby's heart is already beating at just three weeks? By five weeks, you can hear their heartbeat on ultrasound. And that's where Preborn's network of clinics step in. The heartbeat is the voice of the preborn. And you can share their voice in a big way. I got to hear and see my baby for the first time. Hearing the heartbeat made me cry. And it was certain that I was going to keep my baby forever. Preborn is the nation's largest provider of free ultrasounds. And every day, they rescue 200 babies' lives. Will you speak for those who cannot speak for themselves? To find out more about the life-saving work of Preborn, visit Preborn.com. That's Preborn.com. Or call 855-668-BABY. That's 855-668-BABY. All gifts are tax-deductible. And Preborn has a 100% charity rating. Your love can save a life. Two of Terry Men Answer here on this Thursday afternoon with Daryl Skinner. I'm your host, Mike Kessler, and we were speaking with Mike when we went to the break about being born again. John spoke of it in John chapter three. We talked about reading a little bit further, and you come across that pivotal verse in the Bible for God so loved the world that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And that is really that born again experience. Now, Daryl, you were saying. Yeah, you know, as you as one asks Christ to be their Lord and Savior, repents of their sins and admits they're a sinner, and asks Christ to be your Lord and Savior, immediately you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will then drive you to the Word of God, and you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That is the working of the Holy Spirit in an individual's life who said that, if you will, the sinner's prayer sincerely, honestly, uh, with a repentant heart. You're You're filled with the Spirit of God. And you're going to want to grow in God's Word. And, you know, when you look at the Scriptures that they deal with the Holy Spirit and there's working in our lives, it's, uh, as I said, John 14, 15, 16 are excellent passages of Scripture. Jesus says, I won't leave you as orphans. I'm going to send you the Helper. I'm going to send you the Comforter. He's going to do this work in you and through you. And He's, he's the Holy Spirit is constantly changing us to be more like Jesus, getting the awfulness of sin out of our lives that destroys us and getting the goodness of God in us that builds us up. And Peter also delivers the same message of the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost at the end of his sermon. Peter said to them in verse Acts 2.38, Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children, to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those that gladly received the word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to the church. They continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and breaking of bread, and in prayers. And this is the establishment of the blueprint of the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you read the book of Acts, it is the actions of the Holy Spirit on the believers' lives. So we see this continuous uh, 
story that's taking place uh, uh, of facts in regards to the life of Christ, his teachings, his death, his resurrection, then the promise of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You shall receive power when the Spirit comes upon you in Acts 1.8. And that power speaks of dunamis power, not dynamite blowing us up, but rather giving us the ability to do whatever God wants us to do in testifying of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And this is the great work of God in and through our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we come to faith in Christ, we repent, we go from unbelief to belief, we turn from simple ways to the Savior's ways, and then the Spirit of God directs our steps in our lives through the Word of God. Mike, I'll give it back to you. I hope that helps. Yes, it does. So basically, since believe is in John 3.16, and believe is mentioned three or four more times in, in John 3, and maybe belief is one of the major themes of John, and then that leads to the Holy Spirit being received. And so born again means to literally believe in Christ then. Amen. And, and the word believe there is not to make acknowledgement of. The Bible says the demons believe and tremble, but they're not saved. To acknowledge is not what that word means. It means to put all your faith, hope, and trust in. I use the illustration like you're going to rappel down the side of a mountain, and you grab onto a rope, and you say, I believe in this rope. You're not saying, I believe it's a rope. I believe this rope will hold me up. I've seen a lot of ropes that have been left out in the sun that are dry-rotted and and sun-rotted, and they wouldn't hold 20 pounds. Now, there's still a rope. Yeah, that's a rope. But I certainly wouldn't believe in that rope to save me. And that's what it's talking about, a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Mike, I hope that helps. Thank you very very much. God bless bless you. And stay online. We'll send you out some books, some DVDs I think you'll really enjoy. Great to share with your friends. Let's go to Rhonda in Alaska. Hi and welcome. Hello. It's such a privilege to talk to y'all. My question is, I was watching the Eric Metaxas TV show, and he had a guest, a gentleman named Benjamin Thomas, who's written a book called The Revelation Riddle. And they were saying pretty much that the church has got the rapture all wrong. Um, They referenced Daniel 2 and 7 and the stone judgment, and... um, even implied that the, the church has used the rapture as kind of an excuse not to do the things that we should be doing. And it's just kind of bothered me. And I knew Pastor Mike, you could straighten me out. Well, first of all, I don't know where the guy's coming from. Uh, because, see, Jesus said, watch and be ready. You don't know what hour your Lord's going to come. So this guy, whoever he had on the show, is saying, oh, no, no, Jesus is messed up. Let me straighten you out. Jesus can't come back to the middle or the end of the tribulation. That isn't what Jesus said. He said, watch and be ready. The early church was looking for Jesus' return. That's what the book of, of Thessalonians is about. Um, was to comfort them that the rapture had not taken place. So any talk of that is simply shows somebody doesn't know their Bible. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, pray that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things. Hmm, what things? Well, when you read Matthew chapter 24, it's the end time scenario. It's the book of Revelation, basically. That's what he's talking about. So I believe, as Jesus said, as in the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. They were eating, 
drinking, marrying, given in marriage. This is all Matthew chapter 24. And then Noah entered the ark, and the global judgment came. Party time until the judgment of God came. I believe right now we're seeing party time, as in the days of Noah were. People are eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, not a care about tomorrow. Well, when you read Revelation towards the end of the tribulation, right before the second coming of Christ, not the rapture of the church, mere survival is all men is able to do. All the oceans have turned to blood. Every living thing in the sea has died. All the water is unfit to drink. The trees have all burned up. Two-thirds, nearly two-thirds of the world's population is dead. No, this does not speak of the days before the flood. And just as you had a party time before a great global judgment, we have party time right now, right before a great global judgment called the tribulation period. And so understanding that, I think any person that would say, oh, the Lord can't come back until, I, I, it just simply shows their lack of biblical knowledge. Jesus said, I know, again, I share this often, he's not much of an authority, especially to a lot of the TV folk. But what Jesus said is really what matters. He said, watch and be ready. You don't know what hour your Lord's going to come. When some man says, oh, no, Jesus had it goofed up. Let me straighten it out for you. Run with all due diligence. Your thoughts, Daryl? Yeah, there's a doctrine that's known as the imminent return of Christ. And it's called the doctrine of imminent imminency. And that's speaking of that the Lord can come at any time. Uh, no man knows the day or the hour that our Lord has spoken. So if if you think it's a mid-tribulation rapture, uh, well, you see the Antichrist rise up. He makes a covenant with Israel for seven years. You just begin to count three and a half years. You see the temple rebuilt. And all these things are happening. They start the sacrifices. And then at the midway point, you go, okay, I better get my act together because the rapture is coming. Uh, the other idea at the end of the seven year tribulation, the Bible declares that the, the Messiah is, uh, Jesus will return 1260 days after the abomination of desolation in the temple. That's the Revelation 13, the midway point. So you just count through the very days. But Jesus says nobody knows the day or the hour, which means there's a pre-tribulation rapture that must happen, and we must be ready each and every day to go home and be be with the Lord in the rapture of the church in a twinkling of an eye. Now, it's important to realize, for some reason, he sees it as a, a lethargy that happens to the church because we just sit around and wait for the rapture or or uh, an escapism. Well, well, we'll just escape the judgment. We'll, we won't have to go through the the martyrdom in the tribulation period. Uh, not not at all. I see it as an inspiration. I see it as putting us on fire. I see as we look at the signs of the times, we study the prophets from Moses all the way through, and what Jesus taught us about the end times, it excites us. We know that the time is short, and we need to be winning our, our family and friends to Christ, sharing the gospel more than ever, because we're so close to the rapture of the church right now. Israel's the nation once again. We see the Ezekiel War ready to uh, take place at any moment. We realize we're in the days of Noah. We're in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, just like Jesus said would take place. And that should accelerate our 
our witnessing and our testimonies and our the the salvation we want to give to family and friends. Invite invite as many people to church this Sunday, my friends. Let them hear the word of God. If they say no, don't worry about it. Just go to the next family member or friend. Invite them. But these are days of salvation. We have a great commission to go forth and preach the gospel to every creature. And this is what we must do and go for God. Mike, I'll give it back to you. Yeah. And and again, Jesus describing the end time scenario there in Matthew chapter 24, Luke describing the exact same uh, scenario we find. And the key of them being the rebirth of, of uh, Jerusalem under Jewish control. And so as he describes these things that are going to come upon the earth, there in Luke 21, verse 36, Jesus said this, Pray that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. I believe this is speaking of the rapture fulfilled in Revelation chapter 5, where we're all there before the Lord singing, who has redeemed us from every tribe, kindred, tongue, and nation. And there we find that heavenly scene, the church in heaven, and then the cataclysmic things break out on the earth in order, beginning in Revelation chapter 6. Hope that helps, Rhonda. Yes, it does. You, you, as always, you answer everything perfectly. If, if I could just ask one quick question, if you could, can you help me understand what this stone judgment is in Daniel? Well, we know that there's two judgments. We know that there's the great white throne judgment which everybody that's ever lived from the beginning of time that are unsaved and those who are saved during the millennial reign of Christ will stand in that judgment. We also know that there's what Paul tells us, the Bema seat judgment or the reward seat of Christ. Now, a judgment is not always a bad thing. If you get a phone call from an attorney and say, Uncle Fred died, and there's a judgment in your favor, uh, you're part of the will, that's a good judgment. Well, that's what it is. We are going to be rewarded according to what we've done for the kingdom of heaven, done with the right motives. The wood, hay, stubble, that all burns up. But the things that were done with the right motive will carry an eternal reward. Insomuch, even a cup of cold water in his name will bear a reward. So it isn't the magnitude of the of what we do for God, it's the obedience of what we do for God that is what carries the reward. So, um, we as Christians will be uh, rewarded for what we've done in this great um, bema seat judgment. We as Christians will not stand in the great white throne judgment because Jesus took our judgment for us. Your thoughts. Yeah, I, I have a, I'm just going to take a guess here what he might be, because the way you described it, Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 7, the stone judgment. I'll read you from Daniel chapter 2 for the sake of time. It says, Daniel interprets the dream of Nebuchadnezzar about the great statue that was built and the, the head of gold and arms and chest of silver and thighs, uh, waist and thighs of brass and then the, and then the iron legs. Of course, it's speaking of world empires to come. And then he says this, says, O king, you were watching... And behold, a great image, this great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you. And it was from, it was, it, and its form was awesome. The image's head was of fine gold, the chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet 
of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. The the then the iron and clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away, so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is speaking of the second coming of Jesus Christ, as all the world empires are culminated in the Antichrist during the uh, the great seven-year tribulation period. And Jesus will come back, and he's going to destroy the Antichrist and the false prophet and all the enemies of Christ who've taken the mark of the beast. And then he establishes 1,000-year reign on earth. Revelation chapter 20 speaks of a literal 1,000-year reign of Christ on earth for a 1,000 years, six times. And you and I will return with the Lord on these horses, and we will reign and rule on the earth for a 1,000 years with the Lord Jesus sitting on the throne of David from Jerusalem. And the world will be transformed probably like the Garden of Eden originally before the fall. It's going to be it's going to be awesome. And all that didn't take the mark of the beast get to live in that 1,000-year reign and have kids and kids and kids. And, and we're going to be ministering to them and discipling them as born-again believers as we're in our glorified bodies. We're, we're secure in our salvation and, and so forth. And, and uh, that's what's going to take place. Then at the end of the thousand years, Satan is released one last time. And then there'll be one last rebellion. Then all non-believers will be cast into the lake of fire. All believers will head off to the new heavens, the new earth and the new Jerusalem. So I'm just guessing when you said stone judgment from Daniel two, Daniel seven, it's both talking about the empires of the world into the future. And then thus Jesus returns and like a stone, he crushes them and destroys them. Mike. I hope that answers it for you, Rhonda. Oh, it did. Thank you both so much for your time, and you always explain perfectly, and you support it with Scripture. Thank you so much. Well, I think the main thing on that is, and this goes for anybody that's a, a post, you know, um, millennialist or a mid mid tribulation. They're called mid trib, post trib, uh, rapture people. Jesus said to watch and be ready. Now, I'm not going to—he said, you don't know what hour your Lord's going to come. He didn't say what hour you're going to die. He said what hour your Lord's going to come. And if that's what Jesus said, I think we ought to just do really well to let Jesus be God and for us to say, yeah, it appears that Jesus could come at any time. And this idea of, well, Darby started this rumor back in 1850. Completely crazy talk. Yes, it is. They were looking for the return of Christ in Jesus's. Uh, in uh, well, they were actually looking for uh, Christ setting up his 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 reign right then. Um, that's why it was so hard for them to believe that he would die. But the point is, is that is that the early church, everybody has always anticipated the rapture of the church or the return of Christ. Now. Why is that? I believe it is one of the most refining things in the church today. You know, the Bible says that we want to be able able to open the door quickly when he comes. I don't want to be involved in some kind of a weird sin when the Lord comes back. Jesus said, watch and be ready. Now, let's look at this. Jesus said, watch and be ready. You don't know what our Lord is going to come. If it doesn't make any difference, in other words, hey, I'm a Christian, hearty, hearty dude, you know, I can do what I want, because after once saved, always saved, you know. Is that what Jesus said? He said, watch and be ready. 
If it doesn't make any difference, then why did Jesus say it? Now, this is a pretty heavy theological question we have to ask here, because either Jesus didn't know what he was talking about, or he did know what he was talking about. He says, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me. If there is no advantage in watching for Christ, why did Jesus say to do so? Just things that you have to look at. Rhonda, I hope that helps, Jeremy. Yes, sir. Thank you so very much. Stay online. Send you out a couple of books, a couple of DVDs. Great to share with your friends up there in Alaska. I think you'll have a good time doing that. If you got any more questions, please call us. We're here. Let's go to Jim. Princeville, Oregon. Hi and welcome. This is Jim Prineville. Is that who you're waiting for? Yeah, Prineville. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I have kind of a follow-on question to uh, one of your other uh, listeners that called in about the marks that uh, are on Jesus after the crucifixion. Yes. If yep. we see if we see those, um, it sparked a question in my mind: Is Jesus going to be carrying these all through eternity, even after God's plan is for redemption of man is fulfilled? Is He still going to be carrying these marks? Uh, um, just that just is a great question, Jim, and I have wondered about that myself. Now, again, I think perhaps once all the redemption is done, there's not a person there in heaven, a human that won't know how they got there by the by the blood of Jesus. It may very well be that we will see him in his complete glory. Um, we remember when Jesus said, some of you standing here will not die till you see the Son of Man coming in his glory. And we remember that Jesus was transfigured before them in the very next chapter. That's what it's talking about there. And he appeared with Moses and Elijah. Now, what I think is interesting there is they knew that was Jesus. They didn't see him as as somebody that had been disfigured through the crucifixion. And so I believe it is very possible once everything is done and the new Jerusalem comes down, I believe that this may be where Jesus may really show us who he really is. I mean, of course, he is who he really is in that he died for us, but that before he was marred, before uh, what they did to him in his body. Now, we remember heaven's a spiritual place. Now, we do get a glorified body there, and I believe that body that Jesus demonstrated to the disciples after he rose from the dead showed that he could still eat, showed that he uh, was not a, a phantom or a an essence, but an actual human body, but yet could vanish out of their sight. So this different kind of body is something that we're not— aware of yet, but we will be. Paul says we're not exactly sure what we're going to be, but we know when we see him, we're going to be like him. So I I, I look for that supernatural body, um, but uh, how long Jesus will carry those marks, I don't know. Maybe forever. Your thoughts? I think as we look to what Thomas experienced that we talked about earlier, the, the, the nail prints in his hands and feet, and the the pierced side. And so I believe those marks will probably be there. I don't know about 
the crown of thorn marks on his forehead and, and his scalp and so forth, or the, the whippings and so forth. But the identifiable marks were the, the, the piercings and the, and the uh, spear in the side. Now, John, the beloved in Revelation 5, he says, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the world. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So when John sees Jesus there in heaven, he has a vision of heaven. Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, taking the scroll of the earth, and then we'll start the Great Tribulation period, Revelation 6 through 19. He sees him as a lamb that was slain. So when we get to heaven, we'll still see, I believe we'll still see his markings. Uh, will they be forever and ever? I it's very possible, just they're markings of love, sacrificial love, agape love for each and every one of us forever and ever. Uh, and so it's it's a possibility there. Uh, we're not sure. We're not really told if there's going to be a transformation removing those those markings, the pierced hands and side. But it does say John saw him in heaven there as a lamb that was slain. So interesting passage of Scripture, Mike. Hope that helps. Well, it, it does. Um, it blesses my heart either way to see him with the marks mm-hmm. or with a glorified uh, body after everything is all said and done. But it, uh, after 30 years in the military, I've seen enough death and destruction. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing him in his glorified body. So um, yeah. that's just my well, thought. We know he has him. We know he has them at least in heaven because uh, what you just read, Daryl, out of chapter five. So, Jim Sale, and we'll send you out some books, some DVDs. Thanks for the question, and again, uh, you'll really enjoy these. Share them with your friends. Hopefully, we have time for one more. Let's go to Rick in California. Hi and welcome. Hey, Mike. Yeah, Mike. Hi. We got what? We have exactly one minute. I'm sorry. Well, okay, that's all right. I'll call back some other time. Uh, this will take longer. Uh, um, that's all right. Thank you, though. Bye. Well, you certainly you certainly uh, are welcome to call back tomorrow. We'll put you on first thing, as well as um, Marie, Rodney, Jim. All of you have first row seating for tomorrow because, again, this is always the hardest part of this radio program is to say goodbye. You know, I I, I really uh, enjoy it's it, this is really the highlight of my day. I look forward to answering people's questions, never as, oh, I got to do that. I I always love answering people's questions because there's nothing that gives me any more joy. I know for Daryl as well, yes, is amen. to just speak about the Lord, his goodness and his greatness. And that in him, uh, there is no darkness, no shadow of turning, but in him is light. And when we're in the light, our questions are answered. And that's amen. always a very good thing. So if you didn't get on today, please call us back. We'll put you on very first thing tomorrow. Promise you will be on tomorrow, first thing. And uh, Daryl, thanks for being on. Thank you, and God bless everyone. And look forward to being back with you. Appreciate your show. And may the Lord keep you in his love. Keep looking up. To find out more about this ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. 
That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226. Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash T-E-M-A. To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 